The title of my message for the next couple of Sundays is The Community of Jesus. And we've talked about community for a while now. What is it? October? Since January. Which is most of the year. Christmas is only <clears throat> weeks away. Um, but we've looked at various aspects of, of community as it relates to the church that sprang into being on the, after the day of Pentecost and continues to this day. We've touched on how we build community. We've touched on how we're better together, the fact that every part matters. We've looked at life in community and the value of that community. And so today I want us to recognize that we are actually called to be a community of Jesus, not just of Jesus' followers, but of Jesus' emulators. And to find out how that might look and how we can always look to grow and improve our community, I want us to look at two communities that we model our postmodern church community on. And the first one is where, because I've, I've changed the title a bit this morning, the community with Jesus. Because who knows that there was actually a community that had Jesus, the person, the man, in their midst. And then, of course, is the community Jesus left with the Holy Spirit. So don't feel abandoned. We weren't left alone. And so this week, I just want to look at the community that Jesus grew and developed around him as he began to reveal himself as the promised Messiah. And I think the first thing we need to notice about these people is that they don't look like uh, average Jesus followers. There's no pattern, there's no type that would characterize them as a particular type of follower. Uh, and in fact, the reasons for following Jesus that they had was varied as their levels of faith, as varied as the way their lives were changed, uh, and it varied in the response that they had to Jesus' teaching and also the example that Jesus set. So let's look at a few of these unique individuals and see if we can see ourselves in any of them. Who knows who the first disciples were to join Jesus? Are there any Andrews here? Any uh, Phillips? Simons? Peters? Nathaniels? Oh, okay. So none of us were the first. But they were the first disciples to actually join Jesus. And they, they, they actually followed Jesus on nothing more than a recommendation from John the Baptist. In uh, John chapter 1, verse 36, as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. <laughs> look, there's Brendan. <laughs> oh, let's all follow Brendan. Hey, does that strike you slightly strange? Because, I mean, don't forget, this is before Jesus has shown any sign of his divinity. All that's happened is he's been baptized. He's performed no miracle. So what was their hope? Why would people suddenly look at the word, this is the Son of God, this is the Messiah? And I believe it was because they lived in a culture of expectation. They actually believed that a Messiah was coming. They were looking for signs of a Messiah. And when John pointed him out, they said, okay, we're going to go with this. We have a hope. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know for sure that he was the Messiah. But they had a hope and they had a vision 
for what the fulfillment of that hope could do. We then meet someone who really knew who Jesus was, and it was actually prepared to challenge Jesus, and especially the timeline that he'd set for himself. And this is the famous wedding at Cana. And that person was, of course, Jesus' mother. You always got to do what your mother says. And so in John chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Bummer. So Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Now, you're at a party and your mum comes up to you and says, they have no more wine. What's she trying to tell you? You need to get in your car, go down to Dan Murphy's and get some more. <laughs> and in a sense, that's what she was doing. She, 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 she knew who Jesus was. And she said, I know how we can fix this. And so she approached Jesus and says, they don't have any more wine. And Jesus said, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Sorry, mum, the ute's got a flat. But his mother ignored him, turned to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. So here we have somebody, knows Jesus intimately, knows that he's the Messiah. She's given birth to him. And she knows that he has a plan and a timeline. And yet, to actually get his first miracle underway, she has to give him the boot. Okay, let's get things moving. It's not my... Do what he says. Painted him into a corner so that he actually had to actually do something. So his mother had a different aspect to following Jesus. He invited people who were despised by others to become his disciples. Luke chapter 9 verse 53. Uh, no, sorry. 9 verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, we have, we have a pretty good tax system in comparison these days. Most people don't, well, most tax collectors don't sit in the booth that we can see. There might be some at the ATO. I haven't been in to have a look. But it's fair, I mean, it's reasonably honest. So when we look, say Matthew was a tax collector here in these days, it's a bit like you've seen those movies where... People walk into the store and say, you know, where's the thousand protection money for this week? Hand it over and they slip in the envelope under the counter and they walk out. That was sort of like what the tax collectors were in those days. They, they were corrupt officials. And so they weren't liked by anyone. And yet Jesus sees Matthew in his tax collector's booth and says, follow me and be my disciple. And so Matthew got up and followed him. I mean, it, I guess anything was better than being a tax collector. <laughs> and so we've, we've got another interesting person, somebody who was hated by the people around him and someone who led a, a semi-criminal lifestyle. He called people who were totally zealous beyond what Jesus would do. Have you ever, have you ever met people that you've, you've sold an idea to and they've gone and run with it far beyond what you wanted to do with it? So like, you know, let's have a party in the backyard. We'll have a few coloured lights, we'll have a keg, uh, we'll have a birthday cake, whatever, and you, you turn up to find that they've also hired a bouncy castle, a band, um, everybody from the pub, uh, and, and they've gone over the top. And so we, Jesus invited people like that. Um, Luke 9.53, the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because it, it was on his way to Jerusalem. And so when James and John, here we go, 
James and John. They saw this, they turned to Jesus and said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn the heck out of them? And Jesus turned and said, pray, settle down, guys, come on. They just sort of didn't welcome us. And they were prone to making inappropriate requests. In Mark 10, 32, they're on their way to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And the disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. And so he took the 12 disciples aside and started to describe everything that was going to happen to him. So he's trying to impress the seriousness of following him. And he says, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, i.e. me, will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. And so a couple of verses later, James and John stroll up to him and say, um, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you. One on the right and one on the left. And really, it's, it's a bit like saying, really, you're going to die? Can I have your car? <laughs> These guys just said what they thought with absolutely no filter. And then there's the case of two other people in the community of Jesus reacting differently to his presence in their home. And we know this story, Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he'd taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And so she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Who knows people like that? This is what God said, do what you're told. I'm busy here. God wants us to work. Let's, let's do the work. And so we've got two people here, and, and we know from the stories in the Bible that Jesus loved both Mary and Martha and uh, their brother Lazarus uh, wholeheartedly. They, they were intimate members of Jesus' group. And so we've got two different reactions to the presence of Jesus. One wants to sit at his feet. One wants to actually... Um, work preparing things for him and if you go on you'll see what Jesus said about that there were people who kept their allegiance to Jesus on the down low who remembers Nicodemus he had some interesting questions about being born again so he came to Jesus in the dead of night to ask his questions but it's interesting even though he kept his curiosity under wraps it says later, in, later in, the in, in the Gospel of John, he actually turns up at Jesus' tomb. And in verse 39, it says, With him came Nicodemus, the man who'd come to Jesus at night, and he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen. So although he was quiet about his faith, he was there when he was needed. So, different sort of person. There were those whose hypocrisy was exposed by the generosity of others. John 12, 3. Mary, now this is the same Mary that was a sister to Martha, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. would have been a good smell. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. 
Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of it for himself. And yet Jesus welcomed Judas into his circle of followers as well. He surrounded himself with people who ranged from really close disciples like Peter and John, to the twelve, to intimate friends like Lazarus, Martha and Mary, to his mother Mary and a range of other people who followed him because they were healed perhaps like Simon the leper or ex-leper. They followed him because of curiosity like Nicodemus or with self-interest like Judas Iscariot or through personal revelation like Zacchaeus when Jesus found him climbing up a tree. Jesus wasn't picky. He crossed denominational, ethnic and cultural boundaries and encouraged his followers to do the same. We have a tendency to look at other Christian groups who don't worship the way we worship. They might have different theologies and cultural practices. and We have this tendency to label them wrong Christians. Because after all, right Christians think like us, don't they? But Jesus didn't hold to those boundaries. He picked people that we wouldn't pick. He was encouraging people in all walks of life to become followers of Jesus. And he didn't hand them a book of rules when they did it. He didn't have expectations about their behavior. That's not to say that he didn't address it on the odd occasion. But Jesus was so strongly against that way of thinking that he died to make the point. Another thing to consider is that these people might have had the actual man Jesus in their lives and they might have believed that he was the Messiah. But their expectations of a Messiah and what they actually saw Jesus doing were often odds. Has any, anybody ever watched uh, any episodes of The Chosen? I think it's a great example of, of seeing Jesus as a man. He didn't look particularly extraordinary. His robe wasn't white and glowed with that you know, LED strip sort of radiance and, and there wasn't that the, the, there's a thing that you see people do on I don't know is it Instagram or TikTok where they shine a light above their head and make it look like a halo or something um, all sorts of weird stuff that goes on that. but he didn't have one all the pictures you've seen in, in old churches with the halo I'm afraid that they put that on afterwards Jesus did not have a halo as he walked around he looked fairly ordinary and yet he had this ability to attract people. But he still spoke in ordinary terms. And so we often think that, that they, had it, they had it easy. And Jesus was there. How can you not follow Jesus? Because Jesus didn't go around parading like he was the Messiah. And sometimes I think we get caught up in this idea that you know, the first century Christians or the people who followed Jesus... Uh, it was easy for them to have faith because they could touch him and feel him. But he didn't act the way they expected him to act. Half the disciples thought he was going to start a war with the Romans, but he didn't. He was here to save mankind, but not by war. He promised eternal life, but he died on the cross. They were all contradictions that people found difficult to resolve. If you've read the Bible, you will know his followers were often conflicted and lacking in faith, even to his face. But interestingly, there was only one disciple who asked for proof, which seems to me a reasonable thing to do. But we know him now forever as Doubting Thomas. 
the common denominator for all Jesus' followers that was, be, that was that being in his presence changed them. We see brash firebrands become martyrs for the gospel. We see people making a dishonest living turn their lives around. We see people healed and transformed. And we see betrayers become staunch advocates. We also see doubters fall away and betrayers bring about his death. But for good or bad, change was inevitable when they came into contact with Jesus the Messiah. And that's what we need to look for in people. The biggest indicator of the change that Jesus wrought in people in his, is in his command in John 13, 34. And it is a command because he says, so now I'm giving you a new suggestion. No, a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Or love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Punctuation is important. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's interesting that Jesus only asked the disciples to prove one thing. That we were their disciple, we are his disciples. He didn't say, prove that I am the Messiah. He didn't say, prove that I rose from the dead. He didn't say, prove that the Bible is true. He said, prove that you are my disciples by the love you show for one another. We have to stop thinking that having faith in our postmodern world is way more difficult for us because we've never seen Jesus in the flesh. Because we actually have advantages. We have the luxury of knowing the story from the beginning to the end. We can cheat. We can read ahead. Not that we should. Yes, of course we should. <laughs> we have to stop thinking that seeing Jesus in the flesh made it easier for them. We have an advocate that they didn't have that Jesus left us when he went away. And we're going to talk about that advocate next Sunday. But what I, I want us to understand is that the life we live for Jesus is a life of love for him and for others. And that we need to put our judgment pants away and accept people into that community that we have. Because guess what? Jesus sorts out the wheat from the chaff. Jesus is the person who changes people's attitudes, actions, opinions, um, worldviews. I mean, it's interesting. Matthew, for instance, was a person that the whole world hated, but Jesus embraced. We face a slightly different issue these days is that the world is determined to embrace everybody so that nothing is wrong and that they're all inclusive it's a bit like the, the world is basically saying we will not tolerate people who are intolerable which of course is like saying uh, everybody has a right to life except those we're going to kill because they don't agree with us and so we're faced with a different problem the world is trying to eradicate sin with semantics. Our job is to eradicate sin with action. And the action is to actually ask forgiveness. We can't pretend sin doesn't exist. We have an advocate, we have a saviour who died so that when we forgive, when we, we ask for forgiveness of sins, 
he will give it. He doesn't say pretend there isn't sin. He says, I'm here, always willing to forgive and forget your sins. But we have to be bold enough, we have to be strong enough to actually stand there and admit that we are sinners, that we do get things wrong sometimes, and that we need to change our ways, repent, and become better followers of Jesus. Can I ask you all to stand? I want us to pray a prayer together this morning, a prayer of repentance and a prayer of salvation. If you've never accepted Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, this is a prayer for you. If you have, but you know you're not walking with Jesus, this is a prayer for you. If you're walking with Jesus right now, and you're following in his footsteps, you're doing the best you can to be a follower of Jesus and an emulator of Jesus, this is a prayer for you too. Because Jesus makes no distinction. All he asks is that we humble ourselves and pray. Pray after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm not the person I should be. I'm not the person you want me to be. Sometimes I'm not the person I want to be. But you love me anyway. You have made me a child of God. And I accept that position. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me a child of God. Right now, I accept your invitation. Be my Lord and be my Savior from this moment on. Amen. Now, if that was a prayer that you'd prayed for the first time, that you'd never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior before, or you've returned from a place where you haven't really been in community with Jesus, I'd love to speak to you down the front here after the service. We can give you some materials and some, um, a way to actually start walking that path either for the first time or again.